part two chapter six the luggage of life this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c the luggage of life by frank w borham part two chapter six the cliffs of dover mrs barclay in the rosary says a fine thing about those towering walls of chalk that guard the english coast she describes her heroine the honourable jane champion returning to england after an absence of two years the white cliffs of dover she says gradually became more solid and distinct until at length they rose from the sea a strong white wall emblem of the undeniable purity of england the stainless honour and integrity of her throne her church her parliament her courts of justice and her dealings at home and abroad whether with friend or foe strength and whiteness thought jane as she paced the steamer's deck and after a two years absence her heart went out to her native land strength and whiteness those two are inseparable the principal holds of course in the realm to which mrs barclay specially applies it nobody who has read macaulay's essay on lord clive can ever forget the classic and stately sentences in which the historian pays his tribute to british rule in india he shows that the stability of our government lies in its justice its uprightness its trustworthiness english valour and english intelligence he says have done less to extend and to preserve our oriental empire than english veracity all that we could have gained by imitating the doublings the evasions the fictions the perjuries which have been employed against us is as nothing when compared with what we have gained by being the one power in india on whose word reliance can be placed no oath which superstition can devise no hostage however precious inspires a hundredth part of the confidence which is produced by the yea yea and nay nay of a british envoy the greatest advantage which a government can possess is to be the one trustworthy government in the midst of governments which nobody can trust this advantage we enjoy in asia it would be difficult to subpoena a witness more impressive or convincing but there is one more pertinent application of the principle for which it seems to me the times are clamorously and insistently calling in these lands and in these days two truths demand iteration and emphasis in relation to all matters of politics and all affairs of state let it be said as plainly as language can assert it 
first of all that the nation needs strong men and then that the strong men are the white men that people has fallen on very evil days that finds itself in the grip and at the mercy of the professional politician a pair of instances both very much to the point will enforce my meaning the first is from sir james stephen's essays in ecclesiastical biography the professor points out that william wilberforce lived his parliamentary life as a contemporary of william pitt edmund burke charles james fox and richard brinsley sheridan he was a galaxy of brilliance the most polished and powerful orators who ever awoke the classic echoes of st stephen's wilberforce's figure conveyed the inevitable impression of insignificance yet when he rose to address the commons the house instantly crowded members held their breaths to listen the little reformer spoke with an authority rarely wielded by the greatest masters he was heard in silence and with a respect which were never accorded to those illustrious statesmen whose utterances are to this day read in schools and colleges as models of rhetoric and why there is only one reason for it like sir galahad his strength was as the strength of ten because his heart was pure the second of these companion pictures is from sir henry w lucy's sixty years in the wilderness in the last chapter of this fascinating book the author draws a striking contrast between john bright and benjamin disraeli disraeli he says lacked two qualities failing which true eloquence is impossible he was never quite in earnest and he was not troubled by dominating conviction now for the contrast john bright perhaps the finest orator known to the house of commons in the last half of the nineteenth century was morally and politically the antithesis of disraeli to a public man this atmosphere of acknowledged sincerity an honest conviction is a mighty adjunct of power here then in both pictures we have the conjunction of whiteness and strength incorruptibility wedded to omnipotence this marriage was made in heaven these two god hath joined together i have emphasized the national and political aspect of the truth because the conviction grows upon me that we sadly need the reminder but i should be exceedingly sorry to leave the impression that the application was by any means exclusive it is just as true of every walk of life and of every department of service i turn the lantern on my own heart and study and pulpit and upon those of my brethren in a recently published work the rev j d jones of bournemouth says a very gracious thing concerning a ministerial friend of his 
in print his sermons are almost dull as they are certainly lacking in literary style but when you come into his presence the transparent honesty and obvious saintliness of the man lend to his words compelling and subduing force i cannot understand your minister's power said a visitor to a friend of mine who was a member of a midland church to which a man ministered who was not a great preacher perhaps but who was a great saint i cannot understand your minister's power he said i do not see very much in him ah replied the host you see there are thirty years of holy life behind every sermon there is no doubt about it whiteness is strength the white man wield the sceptre and we are all their slaves but the last word has yet to be said a most interesting play of language occurs in the last book of the bible i saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to lose the seals thereof and no man in heaven nor in earth neither under the earth was able to open the book neither to look therein it will be noticed that the words worthy and able are treated as though they were interchangeable and synonymous as indeed they are the worthy are the able whiteness is strength might is not always right but right is always might god is not always on the side of the big battalions but the big battalions are always on the side of god that is why the meek inherit the earth and i beheld and lo a lamb sublimest symbol of innocence whiteness meekness and he came and took the book and they sang a new song saying thou art worthy worthy is the lamb and just because he was worthy it followed as the night the day that he was able we have traced this truth from the cliffs of dover right up to the dizziest pinnacle to which human eyes can peer from the great white stone to the great white throne this thing holds grandly true whiteness and strength innocence and omnipotence right and might they go side by side and hand in hand both in the heavens above and on the earth beneath that is what mrs barclay's heroine saw in simple as she gazed upon the white walls of old england and the seer who from the isle that is called patmos beheld the gleaming towers and shining turrets of the celestial city saw nothing greater end of part two chapter six recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c